Hi everyone, uh, it's Andy Hood here. I'm the Children and Youth Worker here um, at Inspire. Uh, I'm speaking to you on Monday morning because unfortunately uh, we had some tech issues um, around the services yesterday. Um, and so I wanted to, to share with you um, what I shared with those who were able to make it in person yesterday. And we were finishing off our Connected Life series and thinking about the question, am I made for something more? Am I made for something more? Now I don't know what um, comes into your head when you think about that question, but my guess is that for many of us, what comes into our hearts is, I really hope so. I really hope so. I really hope that I was made for more than this. I turned 30 early this year, and so this um, story has particular poignancy for me. Um, uh, the writer, uh, Dolly Alderton, uh, describes a moment at her friend's 30th birthday where her friend Hannah turned to her and said, is this it? Is this all life is? Just Tottenham Court Road and ordering stuff off Amazon? We look um, at the circumstances of our lives and we have a nagging sense that there must be more than this. It might for us be just a kind of a buzzing sense hovering around at the edge of our vision now and again, and just a not-quiteness about our lives. Or it might be a deep ache um, that actually, if we're honest, we face each morning as we wake up. Is this it? Is this my life? And we respond uh, to that sense of our need for something more in at least a couple of ways. Uh, the first way is to go off in search of the more that we're made for. So we pin our hopes on the next big thing. and think that when we get there, or when we get that, or when we do this, then we'll be like, yes, this is it. This is what I'm made for. So maybe it's work, right? You start off your career and you think, oh, this, look, when I'm senior enough, when I get promoted and there's somebody below me to do all the rubbish grunt work and I can focus on interesting and important stuff, then I'll be like, yes, this is what I was made for. And then maybe you are promoted and there is somebody taking that stuff off your desk, but you realise that actually what you need is a new job and something you're really passionate about. Then you'll be like, this is what I'm made for. Or maybe it's not at work, it's, it's, it's relationships. You think, well, look, I, I need to be married. Once I get married, then I'll be like, yes, this is what I'm made for. And maybe then you do get married and your partner's great. But you realise that actually it's kids. You're made to be a mum or a dad and so it's kids that you need. And then you'll be like, yes, this is what I'm made for. And then you have kids and they're great, but it's really hard. And so you're like, oh, well, maybe it's when kids get a bit older and it's easier to kind of balance work and kids and life and all that stuff. It's always that next thing. It's always just over the horizon. Now, now don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that these are bad things. Work is good. Family is good. Relationships are good. But are they really what we're ultimately made for? Are they really enough? Um, one of the things that, I, that sticks with me about going hill walking or walking in the mountains is the experience of false summits. So um, you're walking up a hill or a mountain if you're feeling adventurous and your legs are starting to ache from the climb. And then you come around a corner and you see what you think is the top. It's like, you know, you see the finish line, you think, right, all I've got to do is another 200, 300 metres, one leg in front of the other, keep going, keep going, and then that'll be it. But then you get to the top, and it's not the top. It's just a flat bit, a false summit, and there's actually more climbing ahead of you. I wonder if uh, life ever feels like that for you. If you kind of get up to that next thing, you think that's it, but it turns out I knew it was the next thing or the next thing. Life's like a mountain, kind of just continuing to, to, to rise up in front of you and the ache's not going away. But maybe as you, as you sit and watch or, or listen to this, you think, my life doesn't feel like a walk in the mountains. It feels like, to be honest, being stuck in a small flat in central London. 
it's just today and then tomorrow and then the day after I'm just getting through getting by trying to get to bed in time having done all the stuff I need to do that I'm not more tired tomorrow than I already am today life just feels a bit stuck a bit a bit cramped maybe when I first moved um, to very central London about um, eight years ago, I, I moved into a three-bed flat with uh, two other uh, guys. Um, and it actually turned out that we were trying to keep the cost down. And that three-bed flat, one of the three bedrooms had no natural light, no window. It was just kind of, in some sense, a very large cupboard, to be honest. And actually, in the course of things, that turned out to be my room for probably over a year in the time we spent in the flat. And you know what? It was fine. It was fine. It was, it was livable. Right, you know, there was a bed, there was a chest of drawers. I slept really well, right? The challenge is actually waking up because there's no, no natural light. But occasionally you'd just be a bit like, a bit flat, a bit just a bit depressing. I wonder if your life ever feels like that. It's fine. It's, you're getting on with it. But is this it? And so in the the busyness and the activity of life, whether that's just whether that's aiming for that next. Um, big thing or whether that's just getting through the day we have this nagging sense that we're made for something more and the good news is that we, we really are we really are um, in Luke uh, chapter 10 verses 38 to 42 Luke um, gives us an account of Jesus and his disciples uh, coming to stay at the house of two sisters uh, Mary and Martha and Luke tells us that uh, Mary comes and sits at Jesus' feet to listen to him to what he has to say to spend time with him. And in the meantime, Martha is busy getting everything sorted, running around trying to get the house in order, get, you know, maybe, maybe get the dinner uh, on the table, maybe get rooms ready for Jesus and some of his friends to stay. And so eventually Martha comes to Jesus and she says this, she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And we empathise with Martha on all sorts of levels, right? First, it just doesn't look fair, right? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, not doing anything. Martha's doing all the work. Second level, we know what it's like to have to tidy up the house again for the 15th time or desperately try and get tea on the table in time that, you know, the shouting doesn't kick. You know, we know what it's like to be just full of busy things. And on the third level, we know what it's like when we're hoping that once that's done, once, once the, everything's on the table, once everything's tidy, once everything's clean, we're going to sit down and have a nice dinner with Jesus' disciples and that's going to be that. We're going to be like, yes, this is it. We totally get where Martha's coming from. But listen to what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, Mary's got it right. But by sitting at his feet, by listening to him, by spending time with him, Mary's chosen what is better, chosen the, the one thing that is needful. Jesus is saying that the thing we really need, the thing we're ultimately made for, is him. That's what we're looking for. He says it explicitly in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is really living, that they know you the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now I wonder if we really grasp how audacious what Jesus is saying is. 
Because he's not saying there are lots of things we need. And one of those things is a spiritual life or spirituality. And, and that's, that's where you should put me in that spirituality box. He's not saying that we're made for lots of things. And one of those things we're made for is spirituality. And, and so you should put me in that box. No, he's saying that there is only one thing we need. There's only one thing we're ultimately made for. And that's him. So how can that possibly be true? How could that possibly be true? Because of who this man, Jesus Christ, really is. Luke and the other gospel writers show us in their eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life that he is fully human. People sit with him, eat with him, drink with him, have conversations with him, get to know him, become his friend. Jesus is someone we can know. And at the same time, he is fully God. As Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, in this man, in this man, this, this man who walks around in a normal, normal life, uh, eating, drinking, spending time with other people, in this man, the fullness of God, all that God is, dwells. Through him and for him, all things were made, and in him all things hold together. And through him, God is reconciling all things to himself, things on heaven and on earth. God is bringing back into relationship and harmony everything so that everything might do what it is made for, might be what it is made for. And so that's why when Mary sits at Jesus' feet, she has the one thing she needs. She's doing what she's made for because she is made for him. All things are made for him. In him, all things hold together. That means he's the one who can make sense of her life and the one who can make sense of our lives. And, it's, and she's sitting with the one through whom she'd be reconciled to God. He's the one who, and the only one who can restore us to the life we were made for. And so because of who Jesus is, a relationship with him has the power to change everything. But just not in the way that we might expect. Because when we have that sense that we're, we're made for something more, what we do is to look at our circumstances. Maybe that next thing isn't the false summit. Maybe it's really the top. Maybe when we get that job or that relationship, then, then we'll be like, yes, this is it. We need our circumstances to change. Or we just need a bit more money or a bit more space and then we feel less stuck. But knowing Jesus isn't a change in our circumstances in that sense. It's not one more thing to fit into our cramped lives. No, it's the key that unlocks joy and contentment and peace and meaning and purpose and life in the midst of our circumstances. Um, the Christian writer and author of the Narnia book, C.S. Lewis, puts it like this. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Lewis is saying in the same way we don't just see the sun, uh, we actually see everything in light of the sun. Or in the same way, it's not just that we can see Jesus, that we can see all things in light of him. In light of a relationship with Jesus, every aspect of our life can come to glint and sparkle like a stream in the midday sun. And we get this, we, we reach for this. And when we're trying to talk about what it feels like to be in love. So in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, uh, Romeo uh, says this. 
He says, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Juliet is the sun. That means it's not just that Juliet is beautiful, it's that her beauty illuminates his whole existence. Or if you prefer your poet's modern, Elton John, how wonderful life is when you're in the world. Not just how wonderful you are, no, how wonderful life is. All things are lit up by you being in the world. But that's an illusion, isn't it? It's a form of intoxication. It doesn't last. Or at least we better hope it doesn't. If it does, see how it ends badly at the end of Romeo and Juliet, right? Because no human lover can bear that weight. No normal lover can be the one who lights up everything day after day, year after year. Our world can't revolve around them because the world doesn't revolve around them. But what if it did? What if it did? What if there was someone who didn't love us enough just to die with us, but loved us enough to die for us? What if that same one was the one through whom and for whom all things are made? What if that same one was the one in whom all things hold together? What if the world did really revolve around him and so as our lives start to revolve around him, everything fits, everything's in its place? Well, Jesus sits there in that normal house with Mary and Martha and his disciples 2,000 years ago and says, that's me. Mary has the one thing she needs. By, by coming and having a relationship with me, Mary has the one thing she needs and it's no illusion. It will not be taken away. Because he is the one the world revolves around. And he's the one who lays down his life for us and rises to new life that we might have real life with him now and forever. And so when we see him and when we see all things in light of him, it's like the sun coming up over the horizon and flooding the world with light. We might still be on that journey, still climbing that mountain, but in light of Jesus, we can see the false summits for what they are. Nice places to see the view from, but not what we're ultimately made for. In light of his love and his purpose for our lives, we can rejoice in the good gifts of work and relationships and family without letting our lives revolve around them, without, without making them do something they're not made to be, be the thing that we're ultimately made for. We might still uh, be in a life that feels a bit like a box room, but the, the light of Christ is streaming in through a new window. As we see Jesus um, spend time in ordinary places with ordinary people doing ordinary things, we realise that nothing is ordinary. Nothing's just stuff. It's all through him and for him. Everyone made through him and for him. And so changing nappies and cooking dinner and doing life admin all have a God-given dignity. They can all sparkle like that stream in the midday sun. Now, this isn't like flicking a switch. It doesn't happen straight away because this transformation is the result of a relationship, a relationship with Jesus, knowing him and being known by him, loving him and being loved by him. And that takes time. And so it's more like when the sunlight slowly creeps into a room. And inch by inch, what was in darkness and dull and dusty is lit up lend to glory and brightness. That's what it's like to walk with Jesus. And it's not automatic. No relationship is. We need to take time and, and make an effort to, to be with Jesus. 
to sit with him, to listen to his words in the scriptures, to speak to him in prayer. We need to pull back the curtains and let in the lights. And if we do that, if we pursue him, if we look to him and seek to see all things in light of him, we can do all that, knowing that one day everything will be lit up. In the very final chapter of scripture, we're told that when Jesus returns, they will see his face. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And as we spend eternity with Jesus in a renewed world lit up with his glory, he promises us that that ache will be gone forever. And we will know that this is what we're made for. Amen.